You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Welcome to Living Way Church live stream Sunday morning. My name is Ted Blair. I'm the pastor of Living Way Church. And today we are continuing a series this Mother's Day on Galatians. And we are going to pick up right where we left off last week. All right. Makeovers. Everybody loves the makeovers. We love the extreme makeover shows. Here's a slide. Check this out. There's different makeover shows. There's extreme uh, makeovers for people, for houses, for weight loss, for cars, um, for rooms, for renovation. There's, I mean, all those makeover shows are so popular because everybody loves the reveal, the before and the after. There is a great transformation that happens in these, you know, extreme makeover shows. And some of them are pretty, pretty amazing. And we all love them. And they're fun to watch. Uh, And I tell you, Jesus is all about the makeover. He's all about the extreme makeover. And I'm not talking about how you look or your house or the possessions that you have. He's talking about a makeover that happens from the inside that changes the outside. A transformation, a total life change. The question is, can someone really change? You know, when when you think of your husband or your wife or your kids or yourself, is it really possible to change? Yes, because that's what Jesus is all about. He's all about the makeover. This letter in Galatians is about freedom. It is about freedom, freedom from self, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, and even freedom from religion. In Galatians 5.1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Turn to somebody, if you're with somebody, and say free. If you're alone, just say out loud, free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in this truth and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That means don't go back to the old life, to the old ways, to the old system, to your own old thoughts and and your old um, lifestyle, but embrace the freedom of the new you living free. Paul contends that freedom is only found in Jesus and anything else is a counterfeit. Let's take a look at a little background check on Paul. Some of you guys uh, who were here last week, you, you know a little bit about this, but Paul was a church planter and Paul wrote this letter to Galatians. Uh, it was written to a group of believers in an area in the Bible time called Galatia. Today, we call that area Turkey. It's in modern day Turkey. And the Galatians were warriors. They were hired mercenaries. They were uh, far removed from anything in the Roman culture. They were, uh, they worshiped tribal gods and deeply involved in the occult. And they became followers of Christ. Many of them, not all of them, but they began to turn their lives around through Jesus Christ. And their lives were transformed. Now, these churches were planted by Paul and his partner, Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were ministry partners, and they planted several churches on a mission trip in his very first missionary trip. And those are recorded in Acts 13 and 14. If you want to make a note of that, you can read those stories of the church plants in Acts 13 and 14. 
But after they planted these churches, there was a group of people that are called Judaizers. That means these were people who claimed to be Christians, but held tightly to Jewish traditions. And basically, they were coming in behind Paul, saying, Paul is a false apostle, a false preacher. You're not saved by grace through faith alone, but you are saved through Jesus plus Jewish traditions. And so they began to impose on the people that were new in their faith in the churches of Galatia that if you really wanted to be a Christian, you have to become more Jewish in your food and your lifestyle and your customs and your traditions and even obeying what the law of the Old Testament says. So Paul, furious that they were starting to drift away from the truth of grace through Jesus Christ, he sat down and he hand-wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia. Now the Galatians, it's important to remember, were Gentiles. That means they're not Jewish at all. That means they never grew up hearing the Bible stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Noah. They never heard once of the story of Moses. They never heard of the story of, 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 uh, of Gideon, or the judges, or Samson, or King David, or Solomon. They didn't know who any of these people were. It was not even on their radar. They were giving their life to Jesus. They never heard of the Torah. They never read the Torah. None of them had had a Torah, but yet the Judaizers were coming in saying, all right, to be a Christian, you must live and do exactly what the Torah says and the Old Testament says. So in verse 1 through 11, Paul gets straight to the point and he defines the gospel, and this is what he says the gospel is. He says the gospel is simply that Jesus walked the earth, that he was crucified, uh, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead to rescue us from our sin. He says, that is salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But he begins to teach in this letter that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. When you add anything to the gospel message, anything, you get nothing. And so he's writing this letter to challenge them to stay on course with the gospel, not to be led astray. He uses words like, who bewitched you? And he says, you're going to shipwreck your faith. He says, why are you uh, um, uh, listening to these notorious teachers? So, this is a personal and passionate letter, and he's astonished that they would forget the simplicity of the gospel. And that's where we pick it up, verse 11, all right? So he says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who follow Jesus, disciples of Jesus. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. He says, I didn't make this up. This is not my idea. Now, I was just thinking about this the other day. If you were to sit down and just start a new religion, right? If you were to start a new religion, what would you come up with? What could you come up with? You know, if you were to sit down and, and try to, to make up the Bible, what would it say? What kind of weird, crazy, odd, unbelievable things would be in it? 
Well, the Bible can sometimes seem almost unbelievable. But the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I didn't make this up. This is not based upon a human's mind idea or or it wasn't the creative idea of some human need to know the, the, the unknowable, you know, force of God. He says, no, this is God coming to man. This is a true story. This is not of human origin. I'm not making this up. He says, you see, religion is man looking to the sky, speculating about God. But the gospel is God coming down to man, clearly revealing himself through Jesus. You see, religion speculates, but Jesus, the gospel is revealed through Jesus. So he goes on, verse 12, he says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, man, it can't be understood with human understanding. He says, this is not something that someone convinced me of or taught me that I was just raised up with. Or someone sat down and I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. You explained it very well. He says, no, this is something that was only revealed through Jesus. You know, Paul is not saying, follow me because I'm cool, because I'm funny, or a great communicator, or have a moral life, or an educated background, or that I can make a good point or win an argument, he says, I am just a conduit of truth, not the source. You see, false teachers have credentials a lot of times. But Paul says, I have Jesus. He goes on, uh, Paul then gives a before Christ, a how Christ, and an after Christ, a BC, an HC, and an AC of how he met Jesus. So what he's about to do, he's going to dive into his gospel story. And I want you to ask yourselves the same questions as we walk through this. What's your life before Christ? What's your life, how Christ met you, and what's your life after Christ? The BC, HC, AC. Let's take a look at his BC first. This is the autobiography of an apostle. All right, the greatest conversion story in the Bible. Galatians 1.13, this is Saul the terrorist. He says, for you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I preached, or so, sorry, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, in Judaism, beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Zealous, that means he was, he was excited and proactive in the traditions of, of Judaism. He was happy. He was fulfilled. He was advancing. He had no desire for Jesus. He was not a seeker. He did not see the need for God, uh, for Jesus. He was adamant about, about pursuing what he understood about God, and he was not interested in Jesus, only interested in destroying the teachings of Jesus. This is important to know, because maybe you know somebody, mom, Maybe you know, it's, maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's just not interested in God. They're not interested. They seem to be happy. They like their belief system. This was, this was Paul. 
He says, I was persecuting and I was destroying and I was advancing. Man, he had a good thing going on. He was, he was being promoted. He was excelling in life. And he was attacking the church with reverse evangelism. He was going door to door asking people, are you a Christian? And then pulling them out into the streets, torturing them at times and putting them in jail. And he was a mover and a shaker with great motives. He had a sincere passion, but he was wrong. Did you know you can be sincerely wrong? Your motives don't matter if the truth behind it is not right. He was doing evil things in the name of God. He was a Pharisee. Let me explain what that means for a little bit. You see, from the beginning of time, God of all creation has loved us and called us to be in relationship with him, to walk with him and to trust him. But man decided God was not trustworthy and decided to make decisions apart from him. That is what is known as sin. Well, we are born with that same desire as a result of man through Adam and Eve turning away. And now we're born with this desire to be uh, uh, rebellious towards the will of God. And we often choose, and you have, I have, we all have, we've chosen sin over God's plan and will for our life. See, God then began to choose patriarchs and prophets to be his voice to people. He began to teach them through patriarchs and prophets his revealed will. And this is what we know as the Old Testament. Well, over time, they began to mix God's word with religion. And they began to mix and add strain from his word. They began to add additional requirements to know God. The Pharisees began to rise up as a group of people committed to the word of God and to keep people on track with the law and the Torah. The problem is they also began to add to God's word. See, they were trying to get people back on track with God as they began to stray away from God, but they also began to add to these requirements what God was not asking and by the time Jesus arrived, the Pharisees were the power players in Jerusalem and in the early church. They were power players in the religion department. In Matthew 15, verse 1 through 3, there's an encounter with one. Jesus and his disciples were chastised by the Pharisees for not washing their hands before they ate a meal as tradition requires. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? You see, they were obsessed with tradition, rules, and regulations. And we have Christians that unfortunately do that too. They have become Pharisees. Some of you have accidentally become a Pharisee because you've added anything to Jesus. Jesus plus something equals nothing. And some of you, you've said, yes, give your life to Jesus, but do this and this and this and this and this too to ensure that you're really saved. That's exactly what the Pharisees were saying, and that's exactly what Paul was doing as he was, as he defines himself, a Pharisee of Pharisees is what he called himself. Imagine Jesus steps under the scene and he challenged their way of life, and they hated him for it. 
and they wanted him dead. Imagine if I told you that you didn't need capitalism, that it's not the greatest government in the world. What if I told you that English is not the greatest language in the world and that you don't need to speak English to to follow and walk with God or to be a good American? What if I told you that, that music is not necessary to worship God? What if I said that we don't even need to meet together in a building to worship God? Some of you guys know the last part is true because you're watching online. But some of those others are sacred cows to you. That means they're things that you have idolized now, and we've added them to Jesus. Politics plus Jesus equals nothing. Jesus plus an agenda equals nothing. This is the ongoing theme in Galatians. So Saul was a good Pharisee, and after Jesus was crucified, he began to pursue other Christians, and he became a very popular person among Jewish leaders. All of his Jewish friends began to hire him and send him out to arrest Christians and to bring them to trial for preaching Jesus And the Jesus followers were growing. And Paul hated these Christians and hated that they were growing in numbers. He had a passion for the Torah and to stop Christians. This is why he says in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But notice verse 15. But when God... But when God, he said, man, I was extremely zealous for traditions, but when God, you see, the but God moment, I was a sinner, but God stepped into my life. I hated Jesus, but God stepped into my life. Man, I tried to tear people apart, but God stepped into my life. It's the but God moment. Notice in his story, the sitting chaos followed the but I. He says, I was advancing, and, and I was uh, destroying, and I was succeeding, and I was persecuting. I, I was this, and I was this. When life follows the I, it leads to selfishness and sin and his life before Christ. But new life begins with but God. See, are you living a but I life? But I want to do this. But I want to go here. But I want to experience this. But I want to, you know, do what I want to do. I want to call the shots. That will lead to a life of unsatisfaction, depression, chaos, self-destruction. It's a life apart from Christ. But God, but God, the words of Paul after Christ. Verse 15, he says, but when God, this is Saul in the throwdown. This is the how Christ. That was the before Christ. This is the how Christ. He says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, that means God had his eye on Paul before he was even born. Paul didn't know it until he met Jesus, that God had a plan for him before he was even born. He says, God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son, that's Jesus, in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That means the rest of the world outside of the Jewish people. See, God did not ring 
Saul's doorbell. Saul and Paul, by the way, is the same person. Saul is his Jewish name, and Paul is his Greek name. It's the same person. And God did not ring Saul's doorbell and knock on the door and say, excuse me, sir, can I come in and have a chat with you? You see, God intervened in Saul's life apart from Saul's desires. Now think about that for a minute. We're going to dive into the real story behind Saul's throwdown with God. But I want you to know this salvation starts with God, not us. Paul was able to look back and see the hand of God after it. But a lot of times we think that somehow we play a part in our salvation. You don't play a part in your salvation. It's God who plans, purposes, and fulfills who you are in him. He calls you and he draws you and he saves you. And then he keeps you saved and he matures you. It's his process from beginning to end. His story is so profound, it's told three times in the Bible. Let's check out one of them in Acts. Maybe you've heard parts of it without the supernatural parts, so that it seems a little bit more normal. It was anything but normal. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 9. We're going to read the whole story. I'm not going to skip over any of it. So uh, buckle in. We're going to read some Bible right now. Here we go. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what Christians were called back then. They weren't called Christians yet. They were called followers of the way. Jesus is the way. They were followers of Jesus. It says, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's the B.C. before Christ for Paul. After he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember, he's not a seeker. He was not interested. He was happy with his own life. But listen, sometimes God will cause you to lose everything in order to see him. He will cause you to fall down before you can look up. So God knocked him off his horse. It was a throwdown. He knocked him down. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Lord there meaning just simply master, a term of respect. He was not calling Jesus Lord. He says, who are you, Lord? Be like saying, sir. Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, Saul says nothing. He doesn't respond. Jesus says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now remember, he does not like Jesus, and he does not like Christians. Then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So they heard the sound, but they didn't see what Saul saw. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. He lost his eyesight. He was blind. You see, he was spiritually blind. God was giving him a physical example through his physical blindness. For three days, he was blind. 
and did not eat or drink anything. See, God knocked him down. This Saul Paul, same guy, now praying, soul searching, thinking about what just happened, not a believer yet, but praying, seeking God. What does this mean? What did I just see? And this is what happens. While meanwhile in Damascus, uh, there's a disciple named Ananias who has a vision from Jesus. And this is what it says. The Lord told him, verse 11, go into the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love that. He's on Straight Street. There is a straight and narrow way that leads to salvation. And of all the places that Saul could have been hanging out, the house where God told him to go, he says, listen, man, you're going to go and you're going to hang out at a place that's on Straight Street, the narrow way. I love that. The, the imagery there is so powerful. And, and Judas was a common name there. Uh, Judas is not a bad name, even though Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, had that name. There's many people whose name were Judas at the time. So the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. The Lord tells him to go ahead and lay hands on him. And Ananias initially did not want anything to do with him because he had heard about this Saul guy, and I, he was coming there to arrest Christians. And so he didn't want to be arrested. He didn't trust him. He thought this man was an evil man, which he was. He was Saul the terrorist at this time. Saul was hated. He was a horrible person. He was not to be trusted. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. More on that in a bit. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, and I love that, he immediately, even though he doesn't like Saul, he's fearful of him, he welcomes him into this family relationship. He helps him to belong before he becomes. I think that's a great picture of what we should be doing to those who don't know Jesus. We need to welcome them and help them to belong before they become part of the family. Treat him like family. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, as he was praying for him, uh, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. This is bizarre, too, because he didn't just go blind, but his eyes were covered. He was, his eyesight was covered. And he, he could have just touched him and seen, but what God did, and this again, this, this whole story is an illustration of our spiritual life. I mean, Paul had been living his whole life blind. His eyes were covered. His eyes had in front of him just the law, just the requirements, a God that was somewhat vindictive and, and required more than what we could live up to. And this work effort was blinding him from the grace effort of Jesus. And he was sent to straight street, the narrow way. And as this disciple of Jesus began to pray for him, the scales, the things that blinded him began to fall from his eyes. And he not only began to see physically, but he began to see spiritually. His eyes were open. Salvation. What do you have keeping you from seeing Jesus? 
What is blinding you? What is in front of you? I think sometimes we, we bring things into our life and we, we allow them to blind us from knowing Jesus. Maybe it's a relationship that you shouldn't have. Maybe it's a career choice that you shouldn't pursue. Maybe it's uh, some habit that you have in your life or some excuse that you keep saying to yourself to not follow Jesus. What is it? What are the scales on your eyes? What are the scales? As we pray, will you allow the scales to fall and see Jesus? He says, he got up and he was baptized. That means that's an outward sign of an inward work. He was declaring that he was a disciple of Jesus. And after taking some food, because remember he hadn't eaten for three days, and I love this, this is so cool. It wasn't like, hey, why don't you have a meal, and then when you're ready, we're going to go get you baptized. And it was immediately, he said yes to Jesus, and he said immediately he was baptized. He, he wasn't worried about food. He wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to declare his faith in Jesus. He regained his strength uh, after he had taken some food. And, and Saul spent several days with the disciple there, Ananias, in Damascus. That's the how Christ. Now let's take a look at the after Christ. There's the BC, Saul, Paul, the terrorist. And then there's the how Christ, Saul, Paul, the showdown, and or the throwdown. And now here's Saul, Paul, the evangelist. He went from a terrorist to an evangelist. An extreme makeover. An extreme. This is the before and after. This is an extreme makeover. After this, he went out on his own. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. We don't know exactly what fully happened while he was out there, but um, uh, the other gospels or the other letters say that he went out there and he was taught by Jesus himself. Um, Jesus taught him through the scriptures. Uh, <laughs> people say there's no BS there. It's no Bible school. He didn't go to Bible school there. He, uh, he just went and he learned the scriptures from Jesus. Acts 9 says that this Pharisee who came to take prisoners began preaching Jesus immediately and his influence got so great that the Jewish leaders, his old friends, plotted to kill him and then the believers, his new friends, snuck him out of town by dropping him out of, out of a window in the middle of the night in a basket at night. So his old friends rescued him from his new friends. Galatians 18, he goes on to say, then after three years... Three years after his throwdown with Jesus, and I want you to notice something here. In both these stories, Paul stresses what he didn't do. See, he, he didn't go to, to Jerusalem Christian College, JCC. He, he didn't start a TV or radio ministry. He, he didn't go out on tour and tell his before Jesus testimony story. He didn't write a book, start a blog, or start videotaping his sermons. What he did is he dropped out of sight for three years to grow with Jesus and to tell his story to anyone that would listen. Galatians 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, the apostle. It's his first time to meet him. So 
Paul Saul becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and he doesn't meet an apostle for three years. He finally meets Peter, and he stayed with him only 15 days. I saw none of the others, only James, the Lord's brother. Acts 9 tells us why he only saw him for 15 days, because nobody wanted him there. Nobody wanted him there. Acts 9, 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. There was only one that took him under their wing, and it was a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas began to meet with him and talk with him and encourage him and take him under his wing. Paul started preaching the gospels, but his old friends, the Jewish leaders, again attempted to kill him and assassinate him. And again, his new friends saved him from his old friends, and they snuck him out of Jerusalem. Paul reminds Galatia, his before, how, and after. He says, man, I'm called by God and set free through grace. And I assure you, verse 20, I assure you before God that I'm not writing you, that what I'm writing you is no lie. He says, I'm not making this up. I assure you before God that what I'm saying is not a lie. Religion did not change my life. Culture did not change my life. Rules, tradition, following all of the religious rules that required did not save me or change my life. My life, he says, was only changed through an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then verse 21 says, Then I went to Syria, which is uh, where the Antioch church was, and I went to uh, Sicilia, uh, which is where Tarsus is at, his hometown. So I want you to follow this little map for a second. After his 15-day trip to Jerusalem, they sent him on errands to, to deliver letters and information to the churches in Caesarea after they snuck him out. And then basically, they sent him home. They're like, hey, you know what? We don't trust you. Nobody here trusts you. The Jewish people, they just want to kill you and cause a lot of trouble for us. So why don't you just go home? So he did. He goes home. He goes home to his home in Tarsus. The Bible doesn't tell us what he does there, but the Bible does tell us that he spent nearly nine years there. So you have Paul on the run. As you see in this graphic, he gives his life to Christ where that lightning bolt is, the road to Damascus. He goes to Damascus where he meets Ananias, becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. He's led into Arabia for three years and back. He begins to preach the gospel in Damascus. He's chased out of town. He goes to Jerusalem to meet the apostles and then he's chased out of town. He goes on an errand to Caesarea and then he's chased out of town and he goes home. He goes home to Tarsus, and he's there for the next nine years until an old buddy of his named Barnabas calls him up and says, Hey, man, I'm doing a work among new Christians in Antioch that aren't Jewish. And that's part of your story. Will you come and help me in Antioch? So he leaves Tarsus, and he goes to Antioch, and he's there for about a year helping to plant a church with Barnabas. It's important to know that this is roughly 12 to 13 years of Saul's life, Saul Paul, before he actually becomes an apostle or missionary. See, some people get this idea that he became a Christian and he's like, get me out of here. I've got to, you know, and he immediately goes on this like world tour, right? He immediately jumps on the mission field. He immediately, yes, begins to share his story and his testimony. 
which is why he was chased out of town in Damascus and Jerusalem and Caesarea. But he doesn't like become this like big leader. He is a servant and a helper and shares his story for almost 13 years. While he's in Antioch, the church there say, listen, there's more lost believers, more Gentiles in Europe that need to hear this. And so they, through a vision, say that God has called you to go and tell the Gentile world. And this is exactly what God had put on Saul's heart. So Acts 13, while serving in the church in Antioch, God caused them to tell the Gentile world roughly 12 to 13 years after salvation. And the first place that they go to, Paul begins uh, to use that name Paul. Up until then, for 13 years, he continues to use the name Saul until he hits the mission field with Gentiles that don't speak Hebrew, and he is known as that point forward as Paul. This is important because this was a trip that sent them on their first trip to Galatia. And this is what he says. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. Uh, let's look at this actually, verse 22. Uh, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, and they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Saul was completely transformed. A new attitude towards the gospel, a new attitude towards Jesus, a new attitude towards believers, a new attitude towards scripture, a new attitude towards life. And it was with this that he was sent to tell the world. And on his first mission trip, go to that next slide, he actually uh, circles that area of Galatia. And it was on his first trip that he met the people that he's writing this letter to. And he was 13 years a believer at this point. And he was excited to share the gospel with other Gentiles. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, and this is where we're going to end today. He says, then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. That means 13 years of serving and, and being, uh, you know, a, a helper. And one year being a missionary. That's, that's, that's 14 years. He then goes back to Jerusalem and checks in with the, with the disciples and the apostles there. He says, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. These are his missionary partners. So next week, we're actually going to pick up where he left off in chapter 2 with possibly the most bizarre chapter in the Bible and the most bizarre command in the Bible. I, I was reading through this to, uh, earlier this week, and I was getting to this section in chapter 2, and I was like, I can't preach that sermon for Mother's Day because it's highly inappropriate for Mother's Day. Next week, you'll know why I thought that. Next week, the most bizarre and strange command ever given by God in the entire Bible, and the one that causes probably the most issues uh, and questions for believers. So that's next week. What I want to do is I want to wrap up with four thoughts from, from this story that we just read, his before, how, and after. And this is the first one. The greater the calling, the greater the cost. Making a difference in the world means absorbing substantial pain. In Acts chapter 9, 
uh, verse 15 and 16, the story says this, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. And he did suffer. He did suffer. There were assassination attempts. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was left hungry. This was part of his daily life. And guess what? We're reading about him today, 2,000 years later. Because the greater the calling, the greater the cost. Paul's accomplishments and his suffering went together. Listen, it's not because God had some kind of secret vendetta against Paul for all that he did to Christians. You know, let's make him drink a little bit of his own medicine. He's going to hurt people. We're going to show him what it feels like. That's not what this is about. It's because for Paul to be used greatly, he had to be wounded deeply. I like to say this, sometimes God has to bruise you before he can use you. Why? So that you will be sensitive to his touch and reliant on him and sensitive to the hurt of others. And I'm convinced that the greater the calling, the greater the cost. If you really want to be used greatly by God, accept this now. You're going to be tired you're going to be betrayed, and you're going to suffer. You know, on this Mother's Day, I think about how this applies to mothers today. I think of moms and, and the sacrifice, the pain, the heartache, the, the lack of appreciation that oftentimes mothers don't, uh, or the mother, mothers have, they don't ever get that, that thank you, mom, you're the best. You're They're kind of forced to once a year, children are, to say thank you to mom. But the rest of the year, it's a lot of, un, uh, a lot of uh, lack of gratitude. Let me put it that way. And I tell you what, the greater the calling, the greater the cost. And, and as much as dads love their children, I love my kids. I will die for them. I don't think I hurt for my kids the way my wife hurts for my kids. And I think the call that, that a lot of moms have been, that all moms have been given for their children to care and to be mercy driven and to be comforters, that, that tenderness, that great calling comes with a great cost of suffering and pain. Well, it's the same for us as believers. And I believe that God has a, has a great call for some of you, and he will bru uh, bruise you sometimes to use you. But I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all, all the pain and suffering. Here's the second thing this story kind of points out to me, is that transformation is a miracle that depends on God alone. God set him apart, God called him, God got his attention, God healed him, God transformed him, God commissioned him, God takes full responsibility for the life, calling, and ministry of the Apostle Paul. He had no part in it whatsoever, it was fully God. Listen, transformation is a miracle that doesn't depend on you. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about spiritual transformation. 
It's about what God does on the inside that changes the outside. That makeover is not something that starts on the outside. It's about something that happens on the inside, which changes the outside. And it is a work on the inside that can only be done by God. Paul did not deserve it. It was a work of grace. And we can do nothing to deserve it. We can't do anything to assist it. That son of yours, that daughter of yours, that friend of yours, that person that you love, mom, your children, listen, you cannot assist God on their transformation. You can be a tool. You can be a, a vessel. You can be a, a, someone that God will work through the hand of God, but you cannot make it happen because it is a work from God alone through the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, listen, he says, I've got a lot of things I could be proud about that I did. But those things, they're dead to me now. And it was nothing that I did. And I can't brag about anything that I did. He says, I'll never boast about anything. Except I can't brag about my life, about what I've, what I've accomplished. He says, because it's only through Jesus that I was able to do it. Here's the third thing that this story kind of says to me about his before, how, and after, is that Jesus is still changing lives. He's still changing lives. He's still doing surprise makeovers. Have you ever met somebody who's like, what? When did you become a Christian? I have some friends on Facebook that I hadn't talked to in a long time. I had a very dear childhood friend a few years ago. We became friends. And as we began to talk and he knew I was a pastor, he began to talk about his faith. I'm like, yeah, when I tell people I'm a pastor, we're all Christians, right? I get that all the time. And when I tell people I'm a pastor, all of a sudden they get super religious or spiritual. But as we began to talk, he began to talk about his faith in Jesus, his work in his church and things that he does. And I'm like, this dude's a believer in Jesus. Not only is this my childhood friend that it's cool to find him on Facebook, but I get to spend eternity with this guy. A surprise makeover. I tell you, God is still doing surprise makeovers. People that you never thought would say yes to Jesus are coming to Jesus every day. That's the work of God. That means that God is still changing your life. You're not too far from God. You haven't done too much from God for him to not love you or not want you or not call you. If you have in your heart a desire at all to know him, that's him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God calling you to him. You're not too far. Listen, mom, your kids are not too far. They haven't done too much. They haven't run away without uh, the arms of God being able to reach them. They are still able to be touched by God as God works in their life because Jesus is still changing lives. This fundamental truth is at the core of who we are. The that was then, this is now moment. Your life can be radically changed by Jesus and never be the same again. Maybe you can relate. Maybe if I were to sit down and ask you what your life before Jesus was, you're like, man, you wouldn't recognize me. Man, I'm so blessed to be a pastor. 
because I get to hear some of those stories. And I've heard some of your stories, some of you that are watching and listening, I've heard some of your stories and, and I've been so blown away and so thankful and gracious and surprised by the makeover that God has done in some of your lives of where you came from and what Jesus did. That is the work of Jesus. Here's the last thing is this, is that no one is beyond the reach of God. Not only is he still changing lives, but like I said a moment ago, no one is beyond the reach. First Timothy 1.15, Paul, speaking to uh, a young disciple, Timothy, his spiritual son, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He said, of whom I am the chief. He called himself the chief of sinners. He says, you know what? He goes, there's probably in my life no one who's done more harm to Christianity than me. He says, there's probably been nobody who hated Christians more than me, who despised Jesus more than me, who mocked believers more than me. He says, but Jesus came into my world and he saved me. God can touch and change anybody. That includes your kids. I like to say that the worst sinners often make the best saints. Two responses to this is a lot of people like, well, you know what? I don't really want everybody <laughs> to be touched by God. I, I, don't, I don't really want everybody touched. I know that person, and that, I don't want them saved because I don't like them. But listen, but God. But God. Another response is, well, yeah, but that person's pretty bad. That person's done, they're really bad. They're really evil. But God. But God. See, when there's a but God moment, it doesn't matter who they are, they're changed. And it doesn't matter what they've done, they are transformed, they are changed. Paul is a story of amazing grace, the terrorist who became an evangelist. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ is a new creation, behold, all things have passed away, behold, all things are new. He was talking about himself. He could talk to other believers about life change because he knew what life change was about. He knew it. He lived it. So I have to ask you, what is your story today? What is your gospel story? What is our gospel story? Are you a Saul? Are you a Saul, Paul? Were you once a liar, a cheater, angry, prideful, filled, perverted? I once was blind, but now I see the scales are off. What is your gospel story? See, Paul gives his before, his how, and his after Christ. Many of you guys, you've heard me share my story of how I became a follower of Jesus Christ, and this might be a place where I might normally share mine, but I want instead to share my mom's testimony. And this is something I've never done before. Um, my mom had an abusive childhood uh, with an abusive alcoholic father. And to get out of, house, out of the house early, she married young as a teenager. And she had kids young as a teenager. And she divorced young, as many marriages like that just are not conducive to, to happiness and joy. And she was a single mom for many years until she married another man who was an abusive convict 
who abused us, abused me, abused her. She got divorced, and we became a homeless family for a season. Single, she began to work as much as she could, but she also developed an addiction to drugs and alcohol. As she struggled with drugs and alcohol and attempted to be a single mom to meet all of our needs, we were raised by our grandparents with her help for a while, and, and she married again. It was a new day. But yet that marriage was filled with chaos and trouble as she continued to struggle with drugs and alcohol. And this whole time, her mother, my grandma, was a believer in Jesus and never stopped praying for my mom, never stopped praying for us kids, never stopped praying for the salvation of her daughter. And then one Easter, when I was a teenager, we were not a Christian family, we were not a Christian home, but one day, God moved on my mom's heart, thanks to the prayers of my grandma, and we went to church on Easter Sunday. And on that Easter Sunday, after years of running from God, she had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and my grandma's prayers were answered, and she was radically changed. Now, life continued to take its turns, and she became a single mother again, and that's a whole other story of her post-Christian life or her post-conversion life. But I tell you what, she continued to receive God's work in her life. She continued to grow and struggle through the, through the past of her life that she was having to lay at the altar of Jesus, but she never, ever, ever gave up on Jesus. And she was my biggest fan. She passed away when she was 64, but before she did, she came to our church. She was, she was front and center. She was my mom, believing in me, praying for me, encouraging me, talking to me, and at the same time, miraculously, listen to me as her pastor. She was my biggest fan until she passed away. And it was her and my grandmother's prayers, and my grandmother passed away as well. It was her and my grandmother's prayers that helped me to get where I am today. My mom played a big part in the fact that I'm here today as a follower of Jesus Christ. God used her in her pain and suffering. Her transformation was amazing. Her story is filled with so much hurt and pain. But I know I have the joy of seeing her one day when this life is over for me or when the new world comes, when the new life in Christ comes. Where Christ is, there is a before and after. There is an extreme makeover. There is transformation. I want to end with this verse, and then I want to pray for you. We're going to watch a video for mothers, and then we're going to pray for all our moms. Um, but this is the passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. It starts off kind of harsh. She says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither be uh, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, uh, nor men who have sex with men or thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds pretty dark, and that's all true. If that's your MO, if that's your life, you need Jesus. But listen to this next verse. It's beautiful. He says, and that is what some of you were. That's what you were. That was your last life before Christ. That was the, the before Jesus. That was the BC. That is what some of you were. But he says, you were washed. 
And you were sanctified. That means set apart and made holy in Christ. And you were justified. That means declared holy and righteous through Christ. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. It's one of my favorite verses. That is what some of you were. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that is your gospel story. I have a challenge for moms today. It is Mother's Day, and, and um, you know maybe you're able to be with your parents or your mom uh, or your, your, your kids, or maybe you're not, depending on what the, your comfortable level is or kind of your situation where you're at right now. Um, but you can do something today, and here's what I want all the moms to do today. If you, mom, are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are, Will you share your gospel story today? Maybe at dinner, at lunch, or with a phone call? Will you share with your children? Will you share with your parents? Will you share to your husband? Will you share your gospel story? Tell your story to your family, how you met Jesus, and celebrate the greatest Mother's Day gift ever, your salvation. I am excited to hear the gospel story from my mother-in-law today. And I'm excited to hear my wife share her gospel story today. But some of you, you don't have a gospel story because you've never had a but God moment. Right now can be your but God moment. The moment that God steps into your life, steps into that room, steps into that place where you are right now, listening, and God can intervene and transform your life. If that's you and you would like that moment, you, you are sensing the, the, the tug of the Holy Spirit, that's God saying, come, come home. I want to pray for you right now. So let's all pray right now, especially for those of you that would say yes to Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now, God, for all of those, Lord, that, that have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, God, the sons and the daughters, the moms and the dads and the grandparents, Lord, that maybe they're listening in or peeking in or, or stumbled onto the page. God, whatever it is, I pray that right now they would respond to the Holy Spirit. And if that's you right now, uh, in your own words, just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my life. In your own words, say, Jesus, here I am. In your own words, say, Jesus, I have not been who you've called me to be. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of running from you, God. Forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Thank you. Help me to be the person you've called me to be. The mom or dad or son, daughter, grandparent, friend, husband, wife. God, help me to be who you've called me to be. Transform my life, dear Jesus. Thank you. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.